Thank you, Paige. Good morning, fellowship. I just want to follow up with something Paige said. You know, there are two times of year that are the best time to get plugged into a church and find community and relationships. August, September, and right now. And so if you're new to fellowship, relatively new to fellowship, or you just say, you know, we, we've been here a while, but we don't know people. She's talking to you. you know, she's talking to all of us. Part of our mission is to become a community of people who follow Jesus with their whole heart and help others do the same. But that first phrase, become a community of people, is what we're focused on with those announcements. And I really want to encourage you to jump into that. Well, I was in the first worship service this morning feeling like I hadn't been here forever. And then I looked at my calendar and it's true. I haven't been here since December 11th. Wow, that was a good response. I wasn't expecting that. I don't know if that was like, man, you didn't miss me or you did. I don't know, but I'm glad to be back. And part of that's the way the teaching schedule uh, came. Um, Eric did the Christmas Eve service this year, which I was really grateful for because it enabled me to be with my parents who live in Myrtle Beach for the first time on Christmas Day in a decade. So I was really grateful. That was a really sweet time. Uh, But it also meant an extended travel time for us. And what was intended to be about a 10-day travel turned into a 16-day travel for me because our van transmission went out in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you for that commiseration, right? (laughs) So uh, anyway, obviously you go through this like, oh, this is terrible. I wish we didn't have to spend the money, but it's part of life. And then it's like, well, do we just get a new car? And you'll no, that's ridiculous. You can't get a new car right now. I mean, the car prices are so expensive right these days. So we're going to repair the van. So we repaired the van, but then it became, can they get it done in time? And we thought they could. Then it got to where the, the, girl, the Jody and the girls had to go home so that they wouldn't miss the first day of school um, back in January. But I stayed because the car place said, we'll have it done by the end of the week. So this was last Friday. We'll have it done by the end of the week. I called them every day that week. And they said, we're still on track, Mr. Sweet. We're still on track, Mr. Sweet. And then Friday afternoon at 2.30, they called me and said, we're so sorry. It's going to be another 24 hours. So it'll be Saturday afternoon now. So I was scheduled to preach at Brentwood Sunday morning. And I'm doing the math. I'm 10 hours from home, get the car at 2.30, drive home, have to wake up and preach. What if something happens? What if the transmission, what if they didn't repair it right? So I made the decision on Friday after I got that call, I'm going to fly home. We'll worry about the van later because I've just got to get home. So after waiting the whole week, you know, I then just had to fly. I was like, I should have just gone with my family four days ago when they went home. So then I booked on Southwest Airlines. <laughs> now, I set that up too well because the reality is I wish I could tell you my flight was canceled. That would have made a better story. <laughs> but it worked out just fine, um, fortunately. But I did get home that Friday. Jody went back the next day. Like, she flew back. She got in the van. It all worked out. But no one's on Southwest Airlines these days. Like, we had a row to ourselves. Or, you know, you each did when we flew. But the funny part of this whole story, so I ended up being gone 16 days, which is a long time away from home. And the day we left, I left a bag of shoes at home. So all I had for 16 days were my Crocs. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I I spent Christmas in my Crocs. We had Jody's dad's um, uh, uh, retirement, formal dinner in my Crocs. (laughs) Went out on a double date with my brother and his wife to this really nice restaurant in Charleston in my Crocs. 
Jody was like, you know, you can buy some other shoes. I was like, I have a whole bag of shoes at home. I'm not gonna spend money on shoes I don't need. And I actually found out Crocs were the perfect shoe if you don't have anything else. <laughs> it's like, you can do all kinds of things and they never get dirty and they just wash them off. It was wonderful. I almost warmed today, just had a habit. <laughs> but we're, we are here again. I'm glad to be here. And as Lloyd uh, reintroduced last week, we're back in John. Open your Bibles to John chapter one. If you were here last week, you heard Lloyd, Lloyd kind of tell us what was gonna happen over the next few weeks. And it's something that's actually really exciting. As we get back into John, we're gonna take some time in the gospel of John to say, what does this have to do with where we're going as a church? What, what does this mission statement that God has given us of becoming a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same? In fact, go ahead and put that back on the, on the screen, if you will. What does that have to do with the gospel of John? And why does it matter? And Lloyd made a statement. He said, you know, we'll look back someday uh, down the road in our history and look back at these few weeks as something significant. I don't think that's hyperbole because what we're gonna be do to, doing today is we're gonna be talking about that mission related to the word of God in the gospel of John. The next week, Lloyd's gonna come and he's gonna talk about in the gospel of John, how do we see what it means to follow Jesus with our whole heart? How can we follow Jesus with our whole heart if we don't know what that means? We'll talk about that next week. Then one more week, I'm gonna come back or two weeks from now will be the last week. We'll be in this little mini series within a series. And I'm gonna talk about our strategy as a church and how it's directly rooted in the way of Jesus and how he made disciples and a vision statement that we have for the next 25 years as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of fellowship this year. March of, 20, uh, of 2023 is the 25th anniversary of our first public worship service at fellowship. So a lot of, a lot of excitement around that and energy, but, but more importantly, there will be gratitude and we look back, but, but even more important, looking ahead to what God has in mind for us. So I wanna start in John chapter one. Lloyd was there last week as well, but I wanna go back to it and I wanna add a verse that he didn't cover yesterday that happens to be my favorite verse in the gospel of John and I wanna connect it to our mission and, and show you why I think this is such a significant verse for us as a church. But let's start in verse one, chapter one of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. We talked when we studied this passage a few months ago, how all the metaphors in here were all creation metaphors, right? The beginning, uh, life being made, light, you know, and let there be light. I mean, all these are taking you right back to Genesis chapter one. Lloyd covered this text last week and his big idea last week was Jesus is God and how profound that is. The big idea this week is God became flesh and dwelt among us, which we find in verse 14. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, in, in my scripture journal, I drew an arrow right here from you know, verse uh, one to four all the way down to verse 14 because the idea is connected. This word that was in the beginning and created all things took on flesh. And isn't it interesting how John describes the, the deity of Jesus and the enfleshment of Jesus as the word becoming flesh? I wanna think about with you how we come to the word. And my use of the word at this moment is referring to the word of God in the scripture. 
How do we read God's word? I want to suggest we need to read it three ways. As we walk through John's gospel together this morning and then the rest of the series, I want to encourage you to read the gospel or read the Bible in general through three, three lenses. The first is read for information. That's how we approach the word for information. That's a starting point. This is the obvious. It's, of course, information, right? But we need to dig in. I, one of the things I love about this church is you guys are eager to learn God's word. We need to be learners. Did you know that disciple is another way of, of learner? Another way of saying learner, that's what a disciple is, is a, a learner from a rabbi, a student of a rabbi. So we need to become learners. And now, of course, there's more to it than just learning. We'll get to that. But we have to start with learning. So read for information. Be a learner. Number two, read for transformation. Don't just read to, to understand and know and be intellectual, smarter about who Jesus was and what the Bible is. But, but, learn, but read to be transformed. Guys, you can't encounter Jesus without being changed. Every person that ever met him was transformed by him. And the, God's word, both the scripture that you hold in your hands as well as the living word, Jesus, the word made flesh, will transform you. And God's word and the word, Jesus, work together. As you're reading the Bible, as you're listening to me and Lloyd teach, the spirit of God is re-speaking through the text the message that he spoke to the original audience. The words of Jesus are coming to life. As we read and study, this is what I'm trying to say. So we read for transformation. We need to be transformed. Now, this is the third one. And this is what I really want to focus in on through some passages this morning in the Gospel of John is to not just read for information and transformation, but read so that the word will inhabit you. That's a weird way of saying it. So I want to explain what I mean. Read so that the word will inhabit you. The root of inhabit is a habitation right? Habitat, same idea. It's a place you live. Read so that the word will live in you. Now, the connection is to John 14. The word became flesh and dwelt. Dwelt is another word for lived. Abide, like stayed. Lived among us. Inhabited. Read so that the word would live in you, so that it would inhabit you. Another way to think about this maybe is Something about God's word that wants to do more than just inform you and transform you. It wants to give you an identity and a purpose. It wants to do something in you in such a way that you'd say, I have found myself. That's a little different than just saying I've been transformed. You might read a really good inspirational secular book or a classic, or an autobiography. You might watch a movie and say, that's transformed me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm different because of that book. The Bible not only wants to do that to you, it wants to inhabit you. It wants you to declare, I have found myself. In other words, who I'm called to be and my purpose in life. It's New Year. It's time to be thinking about who we are and where we are and where we're going and if we're on track to what we hope for, get back in the gym, these kinds of things. I was thinking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, reflecting on it. In many ways, my life is not at all what I want it to be and my family is 
not what I thought it would be at this stage. And there are a lot of things that I want to change in my own personal rhythms and the way that I interact with people, all those kinds of things. But here's what I was thinking about. I was like, okay, I could go through 2023 and make some improvements to my health, make some improvements to my parenting, make some improvements to my marriage, make some improvements to my leadership here. And I, I could work on these things and, and pray that I will. I think that's part of what God is calling me to. But there has to be more to life than just making marginal improvements every year as we spin around the globe, collecting things and streaming entertainment. There has to be more to life. The good news is there is. Do you want to come alive? That's the invitation of Jesus. Do you want to come alive? And do you want to discover why God has made you alive? That's the invitation of Jesus. And we're going to find this in the gospel of John as we study it together. So what I would like to do this morning is I want to highlight a few places in the ground we've covered so far in John where the word became flesh in a profound way. And then I want to talk about how God might do something a little similar through us in our time and place. So let's start first in the end of chapter one, the word became flesh in a profound way at the end of chapter one. Turn in your Bibles to John one, uh, around verse 43. I'm gonna summarize some things. Jesus has called a man named Philip. Philip comes to a man named Nathaniel. He says, I think we found the Messiah. Nathaniel says to him, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown? And Philip says, come and see. And what happens next is Jesus sees Nathanael, and before Nathanael can even say anything, Jesus says, you know, there's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And then he goes on to say, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's verse 48. We don't know all that that means, but we know that that knocked Nathanael's socks off, and he realized that this is God himself. This is the Son of God. He's saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe. That's pretty cool. You will see greater things than these. And now look at verse 51. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' title for himself. That sounds weird to our ears, but to their ears, it would have been like, are you talking about what I think you're talking about. Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven. Y'all may have heard that. There's a song. What was that about? This was a dream that Jacob had where, where he, he thought he'd stumbled on the, the portal between heaven and earth because he saw the stairway. And he saw the angels descending and descending and he realized this is this place where God's space and human space overlaps. This is the place. This is the gateway to heaven. This is the house of God. He names it house of God, which is Bethel. That's what he names the place. He, feel, he, he believed he'd kind of stumbled into this special temple, so to speak, this, this space where there was a, a doorway, an opening. Now Jesus says, I am the doorway. I am the ladder that connects heaven and earth. I am the stairway to heaven. He's saying that word in Genesis is now becoming flesh. That story you knew is now becoming flesh in me. 
The word is becoming flesh. That's chapter one. On to chapter two, some amazing things happen. You know, he turns water into wine, but I want, to, I want us to pay attention to him cleansing the temple. Beginning in verse 13, he goes into the temple like he owns the place. And he, he throws out the money changers and, you know, that overturns their tables. Now look at, look at verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's a quotation from the word of God in Psalm 69. The word is becoming flesh. All the writings and prophecies to the people about the temple of God being the house of God, guess what? The owner of the house has come and he is getting it ready. He's taken out the garbage. He's making room The word has become flesh in real time and real space and people see the effect of it. It's chapter two, chapter three, this amazing conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And, you know, Nicodemus thought that he was in the kingdom of God because of his Jewish blood, his his first birth, so to speak. He was born into a Jewish family. And Jesus says, it's not your first birth, that makes you a child of God. You need to be born again. He's breaking Nicodemus's paradigm. And then he speaks Nicodemus's language because Nicodemus was an expert of the law. So, so look, look what he says in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, famous Old Testament passage, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you remember that story of the serpent being lifted up, the bronze snake that God told Moses to lift up and everyone who'd been snake bitten and was dying, look at that in faith and be saved. I am the fulfillment of that, the words becoming flesh. Yet again, Jesus is connecting the dots. He's saying the word of God is now being embodied in me. I am the word enfleshed. And then we get to chapter four. Jesus seeks out, I believe, this woman. You know, Jesus intentionally passes through her area and waits for her by the well. She comes down, the woman woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. He has this amazing conversation with her where he reveals her true thirst. And then they have this little theological debate a little bit, you know, and, and the woman kind of, she's kind of ready to change the subject in verse 25. Look, look at John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Sort of like, let's stop arguing or they weren't really arguing, but let's stop debating this, this question about where worship should take place and let's let Messiah solve it for us. Jesus said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. The word is becoming flesh. He's saying the prophecies about Messiah, the writings, the Psalms, it's all pointing to me. The word of God is becoming flesh. Somebody with skin on, someone who is talking to this woman right now and she can see him. She can touch him. The words becoming flesh. Now, 
as we go through the gospel of John, be looking for these little places. And you know, you might say, well, this is just where Jesus is fulfilling scripture. It's a little deeper than that, according to John. It's the word being enfleshed. It's the word of God having skin on it. And there's just amazing beauty as we see this throughout John's gospel. But I wanna connect this to our church. Well, Rob, what does this have to do with our church? What I am dreaming about for our church, and and not just me, our elders, our leadership team, our staff team, our lay leaders, what we're dreaming about for our church is that the word would inhabit us in such a way that it would be seen again in our time and place, that it would become flesh through us in our time and place. Do you see the connection to Jesus? Do you see how it was God's plan all along to create the world through his word, to speak the word out through the prophets, and then for the word to become flesh that people could hear and see and touch? And then that word made flesh after he died and rose again and ascended into heaven can no longer be seen at this moment by human eyes. But guess who can be seen? Us, his followers. This is so profound that the New Testament describes us as the body of Christ. Just think about that for a minute. It's a metaphor, yes. We're not Jesus, but you might've heard it this way, we're the only Jesus people are gonna see. What would it look like for us as a church to embody God's word to such a degree that people would say, well, I've heard some things about the Bible, but I've never seen the love of God lived out for me in this profound way. I've never actually heard someone explain and, and teach that in a way that's so full of life. It's, it's like the Bible is, is coming alive to me through you because of our friendship, because of the conversations we're having, because of your influence in my life. Now, look, all churches are called to do this. I think that's what it means to be the body of Christ. We're called to embody Jesus, who is the word. We're called to embody him to the world. All churches are called to this. I wanna tell you why I think our church can do this in a way that's pretty unique. A lot of things I love about fellowship, but there are two things above all that I think of when I think about this church. Number one, when I think of fellowship, I think of a group of men and women who love God's word and are eager to learn. And I, that's one of the reasons that I'm here. Like I wanted to be in a church like this. You guys realize like there's not a lot of people out there that wanna like come into a room like this and listen for... 35 or 40 minutes, you know, depending on how on a roll the the teacher gets or whatever. And just come under the authority of God's word. There's not that many people that want to be in a place where we say, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start in verse one of chapter one, and we're going to go to, you know, verse whatever of chapter 21. And it's going to take us 18 months, and we're going to chunk it out like that. And we're going to hear God speak to us through the Bible. There's not a lot of people. You guys are eager for that. You're thirsty for that. I love that. Hold that here. The second thing I've noticed about this church 
You guys are an incredible collection of people. Remarkable collection of people. Talent, resources, ability, influence, and heart. I haven't been around a group of people like this before. This is the third church that I've been on a staff in. And I, I love all those other churches, but I, there's so many days that I come home and talk to Jody is just like, man, I met this person and I had coffee with them or I met them on a Sunday. And I love, they're amazing. Like, and those of you that have been around fellowship, we have remarkable people in our congregation. I'm not just talking about we got four or five remarkable people. It's God has assembled a remarkable collection of people in this church. That's what I'm trying to say. I believe that, completely believe that. That's number two, a group of people who love God's word. Number two, a group of people that are skilled and talented and imaginative and entrepreneurs and big-hearted, generous people. Guys, $1.3 million given away through this church to the world in the last six weeks. Are you kidding me? Here's where I'm going. Imagine the two coming together. Imagine if the word began to inhabit us in such a way that it became flesh in our community. In John 1.14, when John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the word dwelt, but it lived among us, it inhabited. You know, it was, in our, it was in the community. We could see it, we could touch it. It was a hymn, it was a person. Here's where I'm going with this. God put Fellowship Bible Church here so that the word would dwell in this community. And I don't just mean so that there'd be Bible teaching in this community, okay? I mean so that the people of this church who are being equipped by the word and the teaching of the word would then go out to be the word in the community and I'd say to the ends of the earth because there are people in this room that have influence to the ends of the earth. Certainly we have money that's been sent to the ends of the earth. Do you see how this is happening? A group of people who love God's word and God's word is not just informing us and transforming us, that's important, but it's inhabiting us in such a way that it becomes embodied through us. That's the heart of what God is leading us to. It it's, blows my mind. I love talking about it. Eric Hoffman jokes about it sometimes because I love the word embodied, like God's word being embodied. He's like, I don't know if that's the best word to use because not everybody gets it. I'm just like, it's the right word because it's John 1. And I want the word to be embodied through the people of Fellowship Bible Church. I want God's word to be lived out by us. To be in, put, We're gonna put flesh on God's word. We're not just gonna learn it and know it so we can be smarter Christians. God's gonna use us on a mission. That's what I believe. Now, a word-centered church must be a church on the move. Because for flesh to be put on the word, it means it's animated. It means it's moving. It's not just staying. It's got to go. We've got to be a church on the move. Well, what do you, Rob, what do you mean by that? We've got to be a church on mission. A word-centered church, if we're gonna let that word be embodied through us, is gonna be a church that's active. It's gonna be a church that has a mission. And so here's what I wanna do. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of wrap up with this. I wanna dig a little deeper on our mission statement and I'm not gonna talk. I'm gonna show you a video. Let me, let me tee up this video for a minute. Back in August, when Lloyd and I reintroduced our mission statement with you know, updated language on our, on our mission statement, Aaron Blanton, who's on our staff, he's our communications director, he came and he said, he goes, man, I love what you guys are saying about the mission, 
but I think we need to start seeing what you mean. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, what if we made a video that, that, that put images to those words? Tell me more. And we started talking about it. And what you're about to see is first time we've shown this video in this worship service. We've been saving it for this worship service so you could see this. And what, what you're gonna hear me talking about the mission, you'll hear Lloyd talking about the mission. But the, the biggest thing I want you to pay attention as you watch this video, it's about five and a half minutes long. I want you to, to notice the images because when words and images come together, it evokes something in us. That's why movies are so powerful. And so this is a, a video that's designed to stir us to live out the mission that God has given us. And let's take a look at it now. purpose, the reason why we do what we do. It can drive us to the brink of exhaustion, even madness. Purpose pushes climbers up the summit, keeps teachers in classrooms, surgeons in trauma units, soldiers fighting unseen enemies. Purpose says giving up is not an option because you are on a mission. Mission is your must do, your have to. Mission keeps you focused on what must be done. Mission makes your heart beat faster and taps into something deep within and says, you are the one to do this. Purpose and mission cannot be separated. They are interwoven like the colors of your eyes. And when you feel your purpose and know your mission, you become unstoppable. But what happens when people with purpose on a mission join together? History. Think about it. Twelve men on a mountain with Jesus as he reminded them of their purpose and sent them out on what we now know as the Great Commission, his mission, the mission. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The rest, history. Those few men went on to ensure the gospel made its way around the globe through circumstances we cannot imagine at great personal cost, even their very lives, because they knew their purpose and never backed away from their mission. But that mission, that purpose, did not end with them. They were just the beginning. You see, every church, every believer carries that same mission today. It's us who are to go and make disciples. But we can only do that by following one person, Jesus. There are no substitutes, no alternatives, and no exceptions. 
Following Jesus is the only way. Making disciples means you help someone else follow Jesus too. And as it was with the first disciples, so it is with us. And that is our mission. To become a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. That mission keeps us climbing, innovating, and never backing down. It is what we must do. It is our have to. We, the church, carry the responsibility to be a community that stands out. A community that shakes the very gates of hell with such intentional pursuit of Jesus over everything that people take notice. People often wonder, why am I here? Jesus gave us the answer to that question. We are here to follow him and make disciples. We know our purpose. We have our mission. Our world is in desperate need of people with purpose on a mission. Unbelievers here and around the world need to encounter Christ followers who will take responsibility to help them find and follow Jesus, the only one worth following to the only life worth living. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? You know, I really like I really like a good movie, you know, especially a movie that inspires me and stirs something in me. And I've been known to weep at a good, like, epic battle movie, for example. <laughs> and sometimes I realize, like, why am I weeping at this? And it's, I think it's because we all know in our hearts we're, we're called to something. And, you know, some of you might think, oh, you're over-dramatizing. I'm like, why do we sit in movies and we get so inspired and then we, we think about what, what you and I are called to in real life and we're like, oh, that's just church. We're the body of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And, and it ends so dramatically on purpose. You know, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Because that's just true. I look around, I see a generation underneath us. I, what, what's the hope for the generation underneath us? Only if they can see and experience a group of people following Jesus with their whole heart and then helping them. That hand reaching down that you saw that image of in the video that's so powerful, that, that's the hope. And you might say, well, but God's sovereignty, like it's not about us, it's about God. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's not about us, it's about God. But God's saying, but this is how I work. I work through people. 
I work through the body of Jesus Christ in this period of time. That's how God works. And, and, and you know, you can say, well, if not us, then some other church. Yeah, that's right. If not us, then some other church. I don't want to miss out on that. I know you don't want to miss out on that either. So, so what, what are we calling us to as a body? Well, we're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to make it really clear and specific, and I can't wait for that. I hope you're in. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us, and as I pray, the band will come out, and we're going to sing one more song together that's going to really be an opportunity for us to worship the center of all of this, who is Jesus Christ. We're going to worship Jesus Christ again through song before we go. And then after the song, I'll come back out and, uh, and I'll send us out. So bow your heads with me now as we move into this time of worship. Our Father, I do thank you for the goodness of your word. And I mean the, the word that we read and also the, the word who indwells us. Uh, the word that we read is it's just magnificent. The, the way that it pierces us the way that it moves in us and transforms us, the way that you've designed our hearts to resonate with your word, the way that it convicts us sometimes and it can even be painful. These are all such beautiful things because they're all bringing us to life. But more than the written word, I praise you for the word made flesh. I praise you, Father, for sending Jesus, your son, to embody your word. And I thank you for him. And Jesus, you are so beautiful and powerful and amazing. And we want to represent you well. And we, we want to, to be your body in a way that, that would um, point people to you, their true life source, their bread and water. And I pray for us as a church, as we're looking back at 25 years and we're looking ahead at Lord willing, more, more than, more, much more than 25 more, we're at a place where I think you are stirring something in us. And, uh, and I actually believe that that's because you, you wanna do something in this community uh, through us, and you already have been, but I believe you want to uh, do something pretty significant, and so I pray that we'd, we'd have open hands to that, and we we would keep our eyes on you, and keep our focus on you, and that you'd be our life and our breath, and we would we would stay right where you want us to be. So we sing now because we love Jesus, and we worship Him through this music and through these words. In His name, we pray. Amen.